You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. So uh, the, the title of the lesson today is Servants of Yahweh. You might not hear that term used for God very often, Yahweh, but it's throughout the Bible. And it's a term that scholars use uh, for the certain portrait that's in the, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, uh, the picture of, of this person called the servant of Yahweh. So we're going to be kind of looking at that today. But the goal today is that you know a little bit, you learn a little bit more about how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together and how you fit into that story and how you fit into this, this portrait or this, this sketch of the servant of Yahweh that we find in the Old Testament passages. Have you ever tried to draw a portrait of someone or draw a sketch of someone? Maybe it was a long time ago, like back in fifth grade or something. Don't you hate that question that you get asked by the other fifth graders? Who's that? Who's that what supposed to be? Oh, don't you hate that question? Uh, That's what every, you know, kindergarten or every third grader, every fourth grader asks the other kids, what's that supposed to be? And then you know, your desire to be creative gets squashed down by your peers and you never draw again. But, um, you know, I, I've continued to, to draw and sketch and there's something about uh, drawing or sketching a person that uh, you kind of get in, in touch with the essence of that person. That's what you're trying to kind of bring out, is right, right the sort of essence of that person. And uh, I was kind of reminded of this again because I've been serving in jury duty the last two weeks. Uh, downtown LA, going downtown for this trial... And how many of you guys have served on a trial before? Okay, so a few of you have. So you know you're not allowed to read a magazine, you can't look at your phone, you can't do anything except sit there and pay attention for hours and hours and hours and hours, right? So, but what you are allowed to do, I, I asked the bailiff to make sure it was okay, is you can, draw, you can make sketches of the, the person who's talking or you can, you can draw. So, so every day I would just make sketches of each person who was, who was drawing and sharing their testimony and uh, I'll probably put it on Facebook if you want to see those. I'll put them on Facebook tomorrow or something. But, um, but, but it was funny because I talked to the lawyers. The trial ended on, on Friday. I was so glad it was over because it's been, you know, two weeks of, of going downtown every day. And, um, but the lawyers afterwards were telling me, you know, they wanted to see these pictures. They, they realized that what I was doing because at first they said, they thought, man, that juror is really paying attention. He's writing so many notes, <laughs> just furiously writing notes. And, and, but he keeps looking up and then... They said they noticed that when a new person would come in, my face would light up. Like, oh, a new person I get to draw. <laughs> so it's cool. They wanted to see all these sketches. But we're going to be looking at this sketch in, in, in the Old Testament of this, this figure called the servant of Yahweh that the New Testament authors connected with Jesus. And we're going to kind of see why a little bit. Just want to kind of remind you where we are. If you're visiting with us, we're really grateful that you're here today. And uh, we're doing a, a series right now called... A church without walls that really is about what is the church supposed to be uh, in, in the community and in the world. It's not supposed to be necessarily this structure, this building that is the sacred holy place that people come to. That was the temple model in the old days, but the church that Jesus established is really meant to be a movement that spreads out and goes out and changes the world and, and doesn't have walls, doesn't have boundaries, doesn't have borders, but it's really for all people and all nations. So we heard a little bit about some of the work. Our church is part of a family of churches that's all around the world. In fact, there's more churches outside the U.S. than in the U.S. And um, we, uh, we financially support uh, churches in the Middle East and in Mexico and Central America. And we, once a year, we take up a big 
a special offering. A lot of us save all year long uh, for this. This is coming up on June 3rd. Uh, some people give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, everybody just does whatever they can, but to support these churches, because most parts of the world uh, aren't as wealthy as the U.S. Uh, you might not know this, but one-third of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And uh, so those of us who have a lot are, are responsible for helping those that don't. And so the first world churches in our fellowship of churches, we support the third world churches. We support the churches that are more in need. And so that's why we do this offering. And the goal really is that everyone would give something, right? 100% participation is the goal. That doesn't mean 100% contribution. It doesn't mean you give everything, although spiritually we are called to give everything we have, right? But we want to have 100% of everybody participate. So you don't, if you can't give thousands and thousands of dollars like others, just the goal is to give something. I think what happens every year is some people go, well, I didn't, I didn't plan for it. I didn't save for it. I, I don't, and so you, I don't even, I'm not even going to give anything. That's what hurts us, right? Because, because people who, do, and, and it hurts you because you don't get to be a part of the celebration that June 3rd is going to be. So I really encourage you to, to, to give something. Everybody give something. Amen? Amen? All right, so go ahead and turn your Bible over to Luke. Uh, I got to get there myself. Um, I don't, I didn't put scriptures on the screen this week because we're going to do some just good old-fashioned Bible reading. going to look at a bunch of scriptures, and uh, I didn't want to try to put all the little fine print up there. I thought it'd be better just for you to, uh, to follow along. Now, the notes are on the app, so if you're a guest, Fidel, can you put up that slide that shows how to get the app and stuff? Uh, you can get the, uh, the app and follow along with the notes, but the scriptures aren't in there either. You've got to kind of toggle over to your, your, your Bible. If you need a paper Bible, we have them for free at the information table if you're a guest with us. Or uh, there's all kinds of online services for free. Uh, you can get your, your Bible open right now. Uh, Bible Gateway has a free app. Version has a free app. There's all kinds of ways to get the Bible now, which is really awesome. Uh, so look at uh, Luke. We're going to just kind of remind you where we've been so far um, in Luke. So we talked about uh, the Middle East. Steve Lounsbury talked about that two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, we had uh, Roberto, uh, from, who leads the church in Tijuana, share about the work in Mexico. And uh, so that was really cool to hear you know, from the people who we're actually supporting with our funds, hear real stories of what they're doing. It uh, was really awesome. Uh, and then Mark, last week, uh, talked about, the, the, you know, it was a great Mother's Day uh, sermon, uh, talking about Mary and presenting baby Jesus uh, at the temple. And this prophecy that Simeon had there as Jesus, this baby, was being presented by his mother. And something that is interesting that uh, if you look here in, in Luke 2, so Luke 1 gives you the, the story of Jesus as we, we, we know from, from all of our Christmas uh, traditions and stuff. But it's really happened. You know, that's the thing that's amazing is it really happened. And, um, and you see some parallels with the Old Testament I don't have time to, to really get into today. But, but again, the New Testament authors are trying to show you how Jesus is a fulfillment of all these things that you find in the Old Testament. In fact, Luke ends with the story where Jesus explains to these two disciples who'd given up hope, he specifically explains to them all these stories about himself in Luke 24. It's a great story. Uh, they were somehow kept from recognizing him. So here's this mysterious stranger showing him the way this person, Jesus, fulfilled all the Old Testament, but it actually was Jesus. It's a really cool story. So Luke, that's how Luke is set up, kind of all the way through Luke. You see ways that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. Uh, but in Luke 2, something that uh, was said about Jesus... Uh, that Simeon said in verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel 
and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So basically, one of the things that Simeon said about Jesus, about this child, is that he would shake things up. That he would cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. His message wouldn't necessarily be a popular one, it says according to this, right? And in fact, he foreshadows a little bit the, the way that he would die. Not really specifically, but in this way that is really amazing, you know, and a testimony to, to prophecy that where he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. You know, this is the way of Jesus, the way of God, the way he's going to bring about the kingdom is going to be a way of suffering. And it's going to be a way of hardship but it is going to be a way that shakes things up. Uh, so then continuing on in Luke 2, we see Jesus uh, presented in the temple. He, he goes to the temple, I mean, as a boy, uh, 12 years old. We, that's the story where his parents didn't know where he was because they go as a community to the temple to worship, and then they're on their way back to Nazareth. You know, 100 miles away, uh, and they're on this journey in this caravan, and they can't find Jesus. And uh, I used to wonder... Uh, about that you know when I was a kid growing up I would hear that story I would think how I kind of was critical of his parents like how could they have lost their kid but then once I had preteens I said I know exactly how you know because the preteens have their own thing and they hang out with their own friends so like you know they think oh he's hanging out with the other preteens and then you know come to find out where is he oh we, we don't know where he is and he's all the way back so Jesus is in the temple and he stayed there in the temple and it's just, it, it, I think Luke is giving us a picture of his maturity, of, of his development. And then, uh, then we kind of fast forward there to, uh, in Luke 4, it gives his genealogy. Luke 4, we have his temptation in the desert and then his baptism. And as he's baptized, uh, it says uh, here, I just want to read you this. Uh... Did I miss it? Is it in three? Oh, yeah, it's in three. Sorry. Um, so G, uh, John is preaching to them. Uh, Jesus, uh, verse, 30, verse 21, sorry, of chapter three. Now, when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And that's a quote from the Old Testament we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, I wanted to share this because, you know, it just made me think about my daughter's baptism last week. Uh, she got baptized last, you know, week and a day ago. And, and this really happened, you know, the baptism we don't believe is some kind of a mystical thing or it's, 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 a, it's where your faith comes together with God's grace in this one moment in time. And, uh, you, you know, you could find out more about baptism through getting together with us and just looking at the Bible. But, but when my daughter was baptized, if you remember last Saturday, it was totally dark that day and kind of overcast. But then as she was getting baptized, the heavens parted, you know, and it was like all of a sudden the sun came up. And as people were sharing about her, these dolphins are like jumping out of the water and dancing. I've, I've only seen that once before in my life, and I've lived here 25 years uh, all these dolphins dancing. So, you know, for me as a father, it's kind of like, oh yeah, God is like having a little party over there with the dolphins. Uh, you know, if I try to tell that to an atheist, they're going to be like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's just a coincidence. But I'm telling you, for me, I'm like, that's a cool little moment from God, you know. And uh, it was really special. And so, you know, as Jesus is baptized, the, the Holy Spirit comes on him in this, in this physical manifestation of a dove. I mean, maybe just this dove landed, you know, on, it, on him or something, and there's this voice 
this is my son whom I love, and him I'm well pleased. It's just a kind of, kind of a cool testimony of God's favor on Jesus. So then uh, we'll move through. His, his, he's tested in the desert, and that's a parallel to God's people being tested in the desert. Remember how they were in the desert for 40 years? And uh, were it says, what was the purpose of those 40 years? To test them. And so just like Israel, Jesus goes out in the desert, and he's tested not for 40 years, but for 40 days. So there's a lot of parallels there. You know, uh, very, very, uh, the Bible is very literary. So there's lots of foreshadowing, lots of parallels. So Jesus is tested in the desert. Then he comes back and he goes to Nazareth uh, in verse 16. Came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. We're in chapter 4 if you're not there. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This shows us a little bit of how Jesus felt and, and, and understood Scripture and that he saw himself as fulfilling these things that were from the Old Testament. The, the passage he reads is from Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And um, I, we're going to be looking at Isaiah. You can go ahead and turn over to chapter 42 in Isaiah if you would. But uh, the book of Isaiah is interesting. The first uh, one through chapter 1 through 39 is all set in the time frame of... Uh, where the Assyrians are coming to, to conquer northern Israel. Israel, the, the nation of Israel, had been divided into two separate nations uh, under David's grandson. So we all know kind of King David, he's sort of the, the big, famous king that, that, uh, that Israel was so proud of. He ruled right after Saul. Saul was the first king, but he was uh, found wanting in, in, in spirituality. And then God chose David. He was a shepherd. God chose him from tending the, the sheep and made him a king. And uh, his son Solomon uh, ruled after David and enlarged it to the, the biggest kingdom it had ever been, uh, Israel ever was. But then under Solomon's son, uh, he didn't have a lot of wisdom like Solomon did, and he made some foolish decisions, and it led to the, the, the whole country being divided in half. So you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in the scripture, usually when it talks about Israel, often it's talking about the northern kingdom, not always, Israel or Ephraim. And when it's talking about the southern kingdom, it usually is talking about Judah. It usually calls it Judah. But I could get into more of why that is. But when you're looking at the Old Testament, that's kind of uh, the language that's used. So uh, the time frame of Isaiah 1 through 39 is around 750 B.C. or so, where we're leading up to the invasion of Assyria. And what happens is Assyria conquers all of northern Israel. They try to conquer Judah. They try to conquer Jerusalem in 701. But Hezekiah prays to God. God hears his prayer. The, 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 the armies of, of uh, Assyria, that's the most powerful empire in the world at the time. The armies of Assyria surround Israel, uh, and they have them, them, them. It seems like they're going to uh, be captured. Uh, there's no way out. And yet uh, Hezekiah prays, and it says this plague comes and, and wipes out the army of, of, uh, of Assyria, and they have to go retreat back to Assyria uh, and this is, this is in the Assyrian uh, annals. It's written in, in, in uh, Tigger, I'm not even going to say his name, Tigger Pelicious something, Pils I can't remember his name. Anyway, this one, anyway, that's his name. 
Uh, he, he wrote down what happened, but the way he tells the story, he says, I had the king of Judah uh, shut up like a bird in a cage. Uh, but then that's kind of all he says. He doesn't leave anymore. Like he's kinda, he just t- sort of told the positive part of it, right? Because <laughs> he's a king and he doesn't want to give the rest of the story, which, which is that they were conquered by a, an angel and had to go back. And so uh, Judah remained. And so for Judah, that was like this key moment that God intervened and saved them. But then these prophets start coming and saying, you know, that, that, that is not, you can't put your trust in, in, in warfare. You have to put your trust in God. And if you don't put your trust in God and you keep turning to idolatry, what happened to Israel is also going to happen to Judah. And so then by the time we get to uh, Isaiah 40 through the end, it seems to be in the time frame of after Judah has now been conquered and they've been carried off into exile. So we, we shift to all these messages of hope about what God's going to do for these exiles who've been conquered uh, in 587, they were carried off. So we know the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. and All these guys were carried off into exile. So it seemed like, wow, where was God? What happened to God and his rule? What happened to God and his reign? His people have been conquered and carried off as slaves. And so these messages of, of, of Isaiah chapter 40 through 66 are an incredible message of hope and of God's plan and how God's plan is not just for his people, the, the exiles, but also for all nations. And so uh, Isaiah 42 is one of the places we first see this character, this sketch like I was talking about, the, uh, the servant of Yahweh. Yahweh is the, the given name of God. And anytime in the Bible you see uh, a, uh, the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, uh, that is where the original Hebrew had the word Yahweh. And it was changed to Lord in the Greek translation, and there's some reasons why for that. But, but uh, you know, it's kind of cool to think about when, when Yahweh, when, when Moses said, who shall I say sent, is sending me, he said, tell them Yahweh sent you. And Yahweh sounds like the Hebrew for I am what I am. Uh, tell them I am what I am is sending you. That's the name of Yahweh. So the servant of Yahweh, we see uh, this portrait in Isaiah 42. You guys all there? Okay, sorry, I'm slow on my iPad here. Okay, it says in Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Remember at his baptism, my son whom I, I'm well pleased, I delight in him. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has brought justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to all the people in it and a spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of you by the hand and keep you. I will keep you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open up the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I'm the Lord, that is my name. I'm Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell them to you. So remember uh, that scripture that Jesus read, it was from Isaiah 61, but it, it, it's, 
It's an, one of many passages that are pointing to this servant of Yahweh. Like you notice the part where he says, I will bring forth the captives. I will release those in prison. I will uh, give sight to the blind. And Jesus says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So when Jesus says something like that, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And, and, and when the, when the uh, in, you know, in Matthew it says, this is to fulfill this, or this is to fulfill that. A lot of times they're, they're talking about a reference that the whole they're kind of bringing in the whole text or they're bringing in the whole sketch or the whole profile of that story. Does that make sense? Uh, Because his audience knew these these portraits. The audience knew who this was. And and so that's why there's a strong reaction to what he's saying if you continue reading in that story in Luke 4 because uh, Jesus is saying that, that God wants to bless all nations and all people, not just you, not just the Jewish people. And so they, they didn't like that and you can kind of read the rest of that story. But it's sort of like this, okay, like if I give a cultural reference that some of you know, like if I say something like, um, some of you are going to know, if I say, my, hurt, my lips hurt real bad, my lips hurt real bad, uh, some of you know what I'm talking, how many of you know something beyond the literal, my hurts, my, who knows what that's from, my lips hurt real bad, I know there's some of you, come on teens, my lips hurt real bad, <laughs> only a few of you know that. It's not, no, it's not Nacho Libre, no. My hurt, lips hurt real bad. It's Napoleon Dynamite, okay? So only a few of you caught that. So there's a whole thing that comes along with that. You can picture the sore, you can picture the scene. He's calling, you know, he's calling and he's talking to his brother Kip. My lips hurt real bad. And, and ask the nurse for some chapstick. Gross, you know, whatever. So it's a story, right? It's a, it's a, it's a moment that some of you know, but not many of you know. And, and that's what happens to us, I think, a lot of times when we're reading in the New Testament and we read something like, oh, this is to fulfill such and such. We, it just kind of, we go, we bruise right, we breeze right past it. Oh, my lips hurt real bad. Okay, his lips hurt. I don't know. But we don't get the whole story, right? Because we don't know the reference. So I, I just mentioned that because I encourage you in your own Bible study to, to when you see that, when you find something in the Gospels that says, this was written to fulfill such and such. Go back, take some time if you can, and go back and read the, the, the story that it was about. Because you get so much more out of the scripture that way. Uh, you get, there's so much richness to scripture, so much uh, that will enlarge your own understanding of who God is and your appreciation for what he's doing in the world. But I just want to go through this, uh, this portrait here a little bit, the sketch of, of this servant of Yahweh. First of all, it says in verse 1, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit in him. You know, that gives you a picture of how God feels about Jesus, how God feels about his servant. And when we think about Jesus as the servant of God, Jesus didn't just come to, uh, and I wrote this in your, in your notes, Jesus didn't come just to follow the word of God, he came to embody the word of God. Jesus didn't come just to follow the Word of God. He came to embody the Word of God. So when you look at Jesus, you see, uh, you see God, he says. And you see God's Word in, in the flesh, John's, John wrote. You see God's Word come to life. And in a real uh, tangible way, Jesus does that with the Old Testament, with this picture of the servant of Yahweh. Jesus came and embodied this person. He was the person that, that Jesus delighted in. And so if we're followers of Jesus and we are... Uh, we are taking on his, his uh, uh, identity, right? The Bible says that when we get baptized, we, we are clothed with Christ. God delights in us in the same way. And so we can have security in that identity of how God feels about us as servants of Yahweh. 
He says, he will not cry aloud, verse 2, or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. So th this is talking about how this person, this servant of Yahweh, wouldn't be a, a power broker, wouldn't be someone who is a political figure who's trying to, you know, start this campaign that, uh, you know, is this outward campaign. There's many times in Jesus' ministry where he would heal someone and he would tell them, don't tell anyone what I did for you, right? Or he would tell his own disciples, don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ, right? Because he, he, he had a kind of a, uh, he was on the sidelines, he was on the fringes in his ministry, working kind of quietly, not just this outward political figure. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to start you know, this big campaign. I'm going to get soldiers and, and start this campaign against the Romans. He worked in a different way, right? Uh, and uh, so he, he wasn't your average, it, it, didn't, it wasn't the average, let's amass a lot of wealth, let's amass a lot of power, the way that we normally see uh, movements work in the world. Jesus's movement was a very different movement uh, in, in history. It says he would not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice on the earth. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he brings justice on the earth. He would not give up. He wouldn't stop. He wouldn't quit until something is done. You know, when we look at the world, we all see there's something wrong with the world. There, there's issues. There's, there's hardship. There's conflict. Uh, we just had another school shooting on, on Friday, uh, another 10 people killed. I, you know, I didn't hear about this until yesterday, but it's the 16th school shooting just this year. And, uh, you know, something is wrong with teenagers in our world, right? Something is wrong with not just teenagers, but everybody. You know, the, the, there's, we need something. We need, the, the world is in need of something. And that's why God said, I will, I'm going to send this servant, uh, uh, my servant, and I like the part where it says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And uh, what that means is, you know, the reeds by the, the river, if, if, if you've ever walked along near a river, you know how the reeds will, will, will kind of bend, and then they get to a point where they, they break, right? Uh, and so it, it's an analogy for, for people, right? Because we get, bro we get bent by, by sin, by the consequences of sin, by life. And it's saying this servant is not going to break us all the way. He's going to have compassion. He's going to have mercy on us. He's not going to uh, give up on us. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A, a, the, they got their light from these lamps that had a, a reservoir of oil and then a wick that went down into that oil. And when the oil was, was running dry, that wick would start to smolder. But instead of Jesus, instead of snuffing us out, when we get depleted, when we're out of oil, he fills us up again. He makes us new again, and that's, that's what it, it's, it's talking about. Uh, in verse 5, This is the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you and give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisoners from the dungeon and from prison those who sit in darkness. So God, who's sovereign over all the world, has chosen this, this servant to, to, to make a difference. And he says, not just for his people, but for a light to what? All the nations. And so that's God's plan, is that we would be a light to all the nations, that we would bring answers to these problems, bring answers to these, these challenges and these hardships that we see in the world. Uh, you know, when I was downtown this week, I, going downtown for two weeks, you know how when you get out of your own kind of zone where you live 
and where you, where you normally go to shop and where you normally go to eat and all that. You kind of get somewhere else. It just makes you think new about things, right? You notice new things. And I know for me going downtown every day, I rode the bus. I started, Pat Toomey told me about riding this bus and it was better than driving, trying to drive back on the 110, you know. Um, so I was riding this bus and, and uh, just see a lot of different people. Uh, and you, it just made me think about how big and, and how uh, just the city is, you know, the city of Los Angeles, how many people are here going downtown, just all these power brokers that are there in that city. It's just kind of overwhelming. Uh, you see, all, I, I got to meet Pat for lunch uh, right downtown, kind of the, by Wilshire, uh, I mean by uh, uh, the Wiltern Theater, and uh, right there part of downtown by the library. It's kind of a cool area, but that's where the, the, these powerful people that live in L.A. Are, are doing their work, and we have some that are in our fellowship. Um, but you also see a contrast. You see homelessness when you go down there. And uh, 22% of all the homeless people in, in America are in California. And uh, we just have so many people who, who have nothing. And the homelessness problem is, is not a problem that is easily solved, right? It's, it's, it's so, there's so many issues with it. But, but there are needs, you know, that need to be met. And there's this contrast to people who have everything in the world and then people who have absolutely nothing in the world that you see when you, you, know, when you go downtown. And, and uh, where I was serving in the, in the, the courtroom, uh, I had to walk in through the fourth floor every day uh, in the Stanley Moss Courthouse. And that's where the family law area is, people that are dealing with family issues. And uh, it was always packed full of people. And you see these people, they're just, they're, they're not doing well, you know, that, that, there's probably a reason that they're there that is not a good reason. And uh, I mean, one day I, I, I went by, this woman was just hyperventilating and her friend was trying to get her to calm down, just kept saying, calm down, calm down. And she couldn't pull herself together. Another day I walked down that hall, this other uh, like teenage girl was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Why? Because there's, there's trouble in, in families in our, in our community, right? There's, there's issues with our world, and, and so something needs to be done about it, but, but the thing about the servant of Yahweh is he brings hope to those situations. He brings a light to those situations. It says he, he, he uh, gives sight to the blind. He, he sets people free who've been in captivity. That's who Jesus is. That's what the message of Jesus is. And Jesus says, when, when he reads the, the scripture about this portrait of the servant of Yahweh, he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, that's the, why I've come. Jesus didn't come to, to, to just to follow the word of God, just to be a, a good teacher. He came to embody the word of God and to be a help and, and a, uh, to those who are in darkness. And so as his, as his followers, you know, this, this has, has something for us. If we're going to be followers of the servant of Yahweh, and I put uh, on your notes other passages you can look at uh, to see other uh, kind of sketches of who this servant is. And in, uh, it talks about it all the way through here. From, from, uh, it's a great study if you ever want to read uh, Isaiah 40 through uh, 60 and just pay attention to what it says about the servant of Yahweh. The servant of Yahweh is kind of who God intended Israel to be, but Israel never measured up to it. And so then Jesus comes and perfectly fulfills this vision of, of this person. But as you read through that, you see you know, he has a well-instructed tongue, it says in, in, uh, in chapter 50, that, that he, he knew the word of God really well. And he, he, didn't, he didn't resist persecution, it says in chapter 50. Uh, and we see that in Jesus' ministry and his teaching, even on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek as well. And you see that in Isaiah 50. You see it, it, it written right there. Uh, in Isaiah 49, it talks about how we would, the, the servant of Yahweh would serve the nations, and we kind of talked about that a little bit. 
And, and Isaiah 52 and 53, uh, we're going to read before we take communion, but we really see the suffering of the servant uh, and what that would mean for the world. But I want to read you a scripture, and you don't have to turn there, but 1 John 2, verse 6, if you want to just jot that down. And this is one that we should all have memorized. And it's this, it says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So when you look at the portrait of the servant of Yahweh, when you look at the portrait of who Jesus was and why he came to the earth, that should be how the portrait that we aim to fulfill. We should try to be like that image. We should try to bring a light to the Gentiles. We should try to bring uh, sight to the blind. We should try to bring uh, freedom from those who are in darkness uh, and those who are in prison. And, and, and I, know, I know we all want to. We all want to make a difference. But I think what happens is we're busy. We're caught up in life. We've got our own challenges. And we just kind of live our life without really thinking about those around us. I think it's so easy for selfishness to creep in to our fellowship. And I'm afraid it's, it's kind of become a, a yeast that's crept into our ministry even a little bit. Where people are kind of, you know, oh, let's get out there. Let's go take donuts. Let's go, you know, help people and bring them to church and tell people about Easter. Oh, I don't know. I don't think I want to do that. I'm not feeling it. You know, I don't want to take any donuts to anybody. You know, that's how some people reacted. You know, that, that's just a yeast of, oh, I'm just kind of, I want to be about me for a while. And I can relate to that. I mean, I can relate to that. Life gets challenging. You know, we've got three teen kids and we've got bills and we've got all this stuff. And, and, you know, even going downtown every day, you know, I would leave at seven in the morning and then I would get back at six at night. And uh, it was a pretty easy schedule in a way. You know, like I didn't have to be in the courtroom till nine. Uh, we go to 430. That's not that long of a day. And yet it was hard on our family because you know, Dessa's been uh, recovering from shoulder, sh shoulder stuff, so I've been doing more around the house. And, you know, I'm just not used to not being gone from, you know, 11 hours every day. And it just made me appreciate those of you who do that way more hours than that every single day. I mean, there's a lot of you that every day you're leaving at 6 in the morning, you get back at 8 at night or whatever. I know there's a lot of you that have that kind of schedule. And so it's hard when you, to go, how am I supposed to do anything for anybody else? I, this is my life. This is what I'm dealing with. How can I be a servant of Yahweh? I got to be at, at work all day. And so here, here's the main takeaway I want you to take from, from our, our looking at this portrait. And write this down, or it's, it's in your notes. Who you are, wherever you are, makes all the difference. Who you are, wherever you are, makes all the difference. You can embody the servant of Yahweh. You can embody the spirit of Jesus wherever you are. That's the thing that's amazing about it, is you can try to have this kind of perspective where you're trusting in God and you're giving yourself away and you're looking out for the needs of others. No matter where you are, in school, at work, whatever you have going on, and I know you have all these other pressures, but there's something about taking on this mentality, trying to fulfill this portrait, that actually helps with all those pressures. It's kind of like, okay, I, I, that stuff doesn't even matter. What really matters is me being who God's called me to be. And, you know, some of you might have not made the decision to follow Jesus yet. And, and, and so th this isn't, I'm not talking to you. You know, your thing is, first, find out who Jesus is. And I would encourage you to follow him. But I'm really talking to those who, you said Jesus is Lord. I'm talking to you guys who said Jesus is Lord. You can't let your own self become Lord again. And I'm afraid that's happening in our church, right? People going, okay, I know I said Jesus is Lord, but I'm just going to be Lord for a while. You know, no, Jesus is Lord. But he's an amazing Lord. He's worth serving. He, he has the answer to the problems of our world. 
So why not serve him? Why not bring him to those around you? Amen? And so what I, what I would encourage you to do is just, you know, serving others makes such a difference. Just having this mentality of serving. As a recipient of serving, Dustin and I, we were a recipient of you guys bringing us dinners uh, over the last several months. And uh, Dessa had a, a, a situation with a shoulder, frozen shoulder syndrome uh, that started last July. And uh, it got worse and worse. And she couldn't even pick up an onion, you know, with her right hand. So she couldn't cook. She couldn't clean. She couldn't. Driving was difficult. It, you know, it was challenging through the fall and through, especially through like the holidays and all that. So some of you started bringing us dinners twice a week. And it was just amazing. It's humbling and amazing to be served by somebody. You know, it makes such a difference to you who made a dinner. You know, it's kind of that one day and, and, you know, you might not even remember what you brought us, but we remember, you know, who brought what. And, you know, we kind of, oh yeah, that, those, you know, th- those dumplings that Teen Lee made or, you know, whatever, like you just remember what people brought and the barbecue that Steve brought, you know, was, you know, we kept eating it for a while because he brought so much amazing barbecue. You know, you, and, and you just feel so amazing when somebody serves you like that. And, and it just made me think, that's how I want to make other people feel. That's how I want to, I want to be for others. I want to give myself to others and, and make them feel the way other people made me feel with their serving. And so here's some questions that are in your notes that you can ask. Wherever you are, uh, whatever situation you're in, is there, number one, is there a need here that I could help meet? Is, are there a need, you know, just getting your mind off yourself, is there a need here that I could help meet? What people or situations call for prayers? That's one of the best ways we can serve people is praying for them. Praying for our community. You know, telling some, you know, you hear somebody's going through something at your office and just tell them, hey, I, I heard something. I, I, I've been praying for you. Is there anything more I could pray for? I appreciate Calvin Johnson has his legendary prayer list and is constantly praying for people at his work and in his community and, and, and checking off when they're answered. Is there, what situation or people... Uh, what situation or people call for prayer? And the last question, how can I show compassion and generosity where I am right now? How can I show compassion and generosity where I am right now? You know, the early Christians, they did not have it easy. They were persecuted by the Roman Empire. It was illegal to be a Christian. You could die for your faith. Your business would suffer. And yet they they became known throughout the Roman Empire for their compassion and generosity. And that's an untold story of history, the way that the early Christians were, were perceived by the Romans. You know, there's a quote where uh, a Roman person is writing another, a Roman uh, governor is writing another Roman governor and saying, these people, these Christians, they're better to our poor than we are. Like these Jews are taking care of these Romans that are in need, you know, that we're not doing. Uh, because the, the, the Christians had such a reputation for compassion and generosity. Something that would happen in Rome is, is uh, the form of abortion in Rome is that uh, a couple would take, or, or a woman or whoever you know, was, didn't want a child, an unwanted pregnancy, after the baby was born or when the baby was a child, they would just go and leave these infants in the forest. And in their mind, it's like, well, I didn't kill the infant, I just left it. And so it was legal because... Uh, you know, they didn't do anything. They just, they just left it to the elements. And so the Christians would go through the forest and collect these babies and would, would raise these orphans. And so the Christians were known for raising these, these babies. And, and this is something that, it made such a difference that eventually when Christianity became legal and Constantine 
uh, uh, made it legal. One of the first things that happened is that was made illegal, you know, the, that practice of, of leaving kids in the forest. But, but this is just who the early Christians were. They were known for their compassion and generosity. So this community, you know, those of us who've made Jesus Lord, people might not like what we, ha- what we believe. People might not like what we, you know, our moral stances that we take uh, personally. But they should be able to go, but you know what? They are so compassionate. They are so generous. Like we should be famous in our community for our compassion and generosity. They, they might not want to, you know, believe what we believe about God or the universe or, or creator or, you know, Jesus and who he claimed to be or the resurrection or all that. But, but th- the first thing they should go is, wow, those people are so compassionate. They are so generous. And so here's, here's my proposal. Uh, and I was thinking about this uh, just over the weekend and, 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 uh, and at, at the, on the jury even. Um, uh, but but my, here's my proposal for myself. And I just want to encourage you to write something down for yourself, some goal that you have. So my, my goal every day is to serve someone, serve the Gentiles. So meaning somebody that's not already in, in our fellowship. Now, uh, the Bible says, do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So we need to take care of each other first. But I want to make it a goal that every day I do something to serve somebody that's not in the community. You know, something to serve somebody that's not in, 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 our, in our fellowship as already. Every day, that's going to be my goal, every day to serve somebody in some way. Uh, weekly, I want to make sure every week I've really made an effort to, to, to open the Bible with someone. Uh, to, to get someone more knowledge of who God is, to get them to church, to, to really tangibly share my faith with somebody at least once a week. You know, there's got to be somebody that I've, oh yeah, I, I, I got in a Bible study with this person, or I got in a Bible study with that person, or I really shared my testimony with that person. And then monthly, I want to make sure that I'm participating in some kind of project for the poor. We have a lot of projects to serve our community. Uh, what we do is we partner with already existing projects because other people, you know, there's these other existing, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? There's these other projects that already are doing a great job that we can just partner with and give volunteers. And so there's a lot of opportunities. I just want to make sure every month I'm doing something. I know that's something we've talked about in the past as a goal, but I think we've kind of fallen off a little bit. At least I have for sure. So those are my three specific goals, but I want to encourage you to take a minute, write down a goal that you might have to, to give yourself away or, or to serve your community as a servant of Yahweh uh, in a tangible way. You know, I tried doing this uh, yesterday, this changed my mindset yesterday as I was at the soccer field for a lot of the day. You know, okay, who I am, where I am makes all the difference. So I need to be more giving. So, you know, I just tried talking more to people. You know, you can be selfish at a soccer game or you can give, be giving at a soccer game. Those of you who have kids in sports, you know, you can just kind of be into yourself or you can kind of be trying to mingle and talk and, and, and you know, it's a mentality, right? So I tried to, you know, I was even sitting in the car and I had stuff to do on my computer, but I heard Dessa talking to a dad. Uh, so I was like, okay, I got to get out of the car, put my stuff away and go talk. And so I ended up talking to this dad who, who, who seemed really open, you know, and we, we've known this family through the years, but I, I was like, have, I, have we ever invited you to our church? He's like, no. And so, oh, I need to go to church. And so, you know, he took the information and he wants to come and, you know, but, but that wouldn't have happened if I had just stayed in my zone. You know what I mean? I, I tried talking to another woman who she kind of gave me that vibe of, why are you talking to me right now, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, uh, but at least I tried. You know, it's not always going to be great, but, but uh, it's just a matter of getting more out of, out of myself. And uh, so with this jury, it was interesting, too. I was thinking, how can I give, how can I, because we can't even talk with the other jurors about the case till you deliberate. 
but how can I share? What can I do? And so anyway, it was cool. I was just trying to have that mentality of I want to be giving and serving. So I just try to be giving and serving, try to be kind to people. But anyway, as, as things progressed, then they started to talk to each other about these sketches I was making. So then when we had our, our deliberations, they all wanted, they all gave me their email so I could give them the sketches, you know, copies of the sketches. So now I have all their emails, you know, so I'm just going to tell them, hey, here's a little bit more about myself and here's my music. Here's my church. Love to invite you to church if you want to come. Here's these sketches. You know, I don't know. You know, God just opens doors if we have that mentality of, I want to do something. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to do something, God. And then God opens doors, right? Amen. So before we take communion, let's uh, look at Isaiah 53 and meditate on this last passage that really shows this, uh, the servant of Yahweh. Isaiah 53, actually we'll back up to the end of Isaiah 52. Uh, it says in verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of them, of him. For that which has not been told they, them they have seen, that which they've not heard they've understand um, there's a lot here i can't you know do justice to this whole passage but this is such an amazing passage of scripture and so so uh, profound you know the, jesus was lifted up he was high and exalted how he's in heaven he's ruling he's reigning but the thing jesus said is that that was kind of a deeper translation of this or, or uh, application of this is he was lifted up on the cross he was exalted on the cross he was physically lifted up and hung there and the cross was designed to be a sign of the power of the Roman Empire. They would literally put crosses at places where there was a lot of travel. So the bodies hanging there would show, this is what happens to people who oppose the Roman Empire. Roman, Roman, Gentile, I mean, Roman uh, citizens weren't even allowed to be killed that way. But Jesus was hung on this sign, as a, you know, lifted up as a mockery. You know, he's put, a sarcastic sign is put on his head, on his, above his head, which is true. The king of the Jews, you know, they meant it to be sarcastic, but it was true. And he was lifted up and exalted. And Jesus says, when I lift, am lifted up like this, I'll draw all men to myself. Isn't that so amazing? Uh, but it says, uh, who has believed what has heard from us? Who's the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty we should look to him, no beauty we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. You know, Jesus suffered on the cross. It says in the passage we read a minute ago, he was marred beyond human likeness. He was beat up by the Romans so bad he didn't even look human anymore. Because of our sin, it says, for our iniquities, it says in the next, next passage, verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With His wounds we have been healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And that's what is going to keep happening, right, in our church. We're going to want to go back to our own way. We've got to be reminded who Jesus is and why we follow Him. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And uh, you can read the rest on, on, on your own. It's, it's amazing uh, how it even 
predicts his resurrection. It says he'll be cut off from the land of the living, yet he will see the light of life. So it even predicts that he would be cut off and he would be put in a rich man's tomb and he would be killed with the robbers and yet he would have a new life and he would have offspring that, that, that and that's who we are. We are his offspring. So let's pray for uh, communion and remembering what Jesus did for us right now as we uh, take this time to reflect on his body and his blood. Thank you uh, so much, God, for Jesus, and thank you for uh, what he gave and how he suffered and how he came to serve and how he came to give his life away and how he perfectly fulfilled these sketches in the Old Testament of the, the portrait of the, of, of the servant of Yahweh. And uh, in this passage, how he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and, and uh, we have been given a chance to be in heaven forever because of what he suffered. God, I pray in response to that, we would really choose to, to be, be his servants anywhere we go, and that we would embody the message of Jesus in the lives that we live, uh, that when people look at us, they would see Jesus, just like when we look at Jesus, we see you, and we see your word. And I know that's our, our call, that's uh, what we're, we're here to do as followers of Jesus. And if we've been, uh, you know, letting selfishness creep back into our hearts, I know I have, God, I, th- I pray we take this moment to remember his body and blood and, and just recommit ourselves, God, to, to giving our, ourselves away on a daily basis, to daily denying ourselves and living for you, because Jesus is Lord. Uh, we thank you for his body and blood, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.